Let us go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll read from God's Word. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that as the Scriptures read and proclaimed, we might hear with joy what you would say to us today. Amen. We start a sermon series on making all things new. So with that thought in your mind, listen to the word of the Lord is found in John's revelation to us. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God, and they will be his people. And God himself will be there, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I'll be their God, and they will be my children. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Yes, we're starting a sermon series for the next seven weeks entitled, Behold, I Make All Things New. And I hope after seven weeks you're not thinking new has gotten old, you know. That's a long time to be be preaching on newness. But we we are going to be talking about how God is doing a new thing in our lives, in the church, and in the community. We're going to see how that happens. And, you know, a sign and a symbol that God is always doing something new is that We have a new day each and every day. A new day each and every day. That's a sign and a symbol of God constantly, as it said there, making all things new. And I love the way that Archbishop Desmond Tutu put it. He said, every day is your birthday because it is a new day. I like that, don't you? And you know, there's something within our psyche as Americans that we like new things, don't we? You know, we, we ask the question, what's new? And people respond in all sorts of ways. Well, you ought to see my new car, my new house. We've, we got us a new kitchen. And, and people like to buy all sorts of new things, like new golf clubs uh, or new pickleball racket. Uh, you know, th- things along those lines. We, we like to get new stuff, don't we? Uh, the, the funny thing in our country is that we have so much new stuff that we're having to store all this stuff. One in ten Americans has so much new stuff that they have a storage facility paying on average about $90 a month, totaling in our nation $36 billion a year. Over the last 20 years, we have so much new stuff that this has increased 400%. And isn't it kind of funny, too, that when we get tired of our new stuff, we give it to a thrift store so our old stuff can become someone else's new stuff, right? And this is something I've said, I got me a new used car. If y'all ever use that phrase, you know, 
we have lots of new stuff, don't we, and new things. And it's amazing how quickly we grow tired of them or, or how soon these things break. Son of a gun, I can wear an old T-shirt and never get a stain on it. I mean, an old ratty thing. I could be in a car driving along, eating a big old hot dog, slathered in mustard, and I'd get a drop on me. But heaven forbid, this new tie that Rosie bought me today at lunch, I'm going to spill something on it, right? You know, we get that new suit and we're going to spill something on it. We're going to make a mess. Because you see, newness grows so old sometimes with our things. So we, we try new experiences. We love to go on vacations and have a good time. You know, it's kind of funny. I find out that folks at the beach like to go to the mountain. I mean, folks in the mountains like to go to the beach. And it's vice versa. You know, I'm a beach person. I love to come to the mountains. But once we leave, we realize that, you know, that ended so quickly. The newness is gone. So we try new experiences. We, we take up crafts or we take up hobbies. Some of us may even take up skydiving. And once we've jumped out of the plane, hopefully with the parachute, and we get down, uh, get down onto the ground, we realize, well, we've landed. And the newness of the experience, the thrill has gone. And some of, of y'all are starting your first semester at school, or some are coming back to school, you, you students at App State. And, you know, you, you get excited about being there in this new year. But I remember well from college, and when I was struggling, I, I made up a little ditty that said this, I hate school and it hates me. Lord, rescue me from this unreality because I want to be set free. <laughs> and oh, how quickly it passed, you know. And I would have liked to have been back in school. But we grow tired, don't we, of the newness of things because it wears off so quickly. That first sip of coffee in the morning, doesn't it taste so good? But the next one doesn't feel as good as that second one, right? The newness is gone. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory, expresses it this way. The true beauty isn't in the song or the book. That is a form of the beauty which we seek. In fact, if we think these things are the beauty, we have made them our idols. No, what we are really seeking for is that which is beyond which we experience. And he said this, what we long for is the echo of a tune we have not heard, the fragrance of a flower we have not found, News from a land we have not yet visited. See, Lewis had this longing within him, this desire, this Schumschacht, as he called it in the German, which eventually led him to realize that his hedonistic and atheistic beliefs weren't satisfying, and it led him to come to Christ. For the rest of us, this realization that what we yearn for is something more. It was expressed by the writer of Ecclesiastes in the third chapter when he said this, God has placed eternity within us for we cannot see the beginning and the end of all that God has done. You see, friends, there is a longing within ourselves for a newness that never grows old, a newness that is constantly new. And that's what the writer of Revelation is saying to us. John is saying to us, this God has come to make all things new. And there is a place and a time where tears will be wiped away. Death will be no more. Fear will be taken from us. And we long for that time. But the thing is, we, 
We believe that's only going to happen when we leave this earth. But because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, the future bursts forth into the present so that the newness of what God intends for us can be for us right here and right now. That the newness of God's love indwelling in us. You see what he said there? God has made his home among mortals. When God makes his home among us, newness happens. And there is a a refreshness of, of our lives and in our churches and in our schools. See, God has come not to give us some hope for sweet by and by pie in the sky. Yes, we do have that longing and that hope, but also it is for the right now, the here, being present in our lives. So what that means is that God gives us a perspective on what really is important and what's really not important. What we can hold on to and what we need to let go. What is uh, just temporary and what is eternal. What is valuable and what is dross. You see, that's the first thing we have to do to experience the newness of what God is doing in our lives. We need to realize what we need to let go of and to surrender and to uh, put aside. Now, the classic Christian term for this is repentance. And yeah, we do need this. Oftentimes defined as turning from our sin. And that is important. But even more so is what in our lives do we have that's keeping us from experiencing the newness and fullness of God's grace on a daily basis? You know, so many of us are busy doing so many things. We have our work, we have our school, we have our hobbies, we have our activities. And as we let these things dominate our lives, oftentimes we crowd out the expressions of God's grace in our lives and experiencing the newness of what God wants to do for us. Because you see, the truth of Jesus' parable of the sower is eternally true. The sower plants the goodness of God's new grace in our lives and wanting it to grow. And what happens? Well, he says the cares and the pleasures of this world are like rocks and weeds. They, they keep that grace from growing and it, letting us experience it to its fullness. So part of what we have to do as we seek after the new thing that God's doing in our lives and in our church is ask ourselves, what is keeping me from experiencing that in the fullness that God intends for me, for this church for this community, for Appalachia State University. What is it that keeps us from experiencing that? And, and to do that, we realize that that's going to be a struggle. Sometimes it's going to be hard. But it is in the struggle that we find the strength to be what God intends for us to be and to become and grow into this new person, this new creation that God intends we used to love to go to Callaway Gardens. Any of y'all ever been there, Callaway, Callaway Gardens? Yeah, yes, yeah, y'all been there. And, and beautiful, particularly in March when all the azaleas are blooming. And we used to uh, love to go walk around the lake and experience the things there in, uh, near Pine Mountain, Georgia. Not like the mountains here, if I tell you that, but it, it, it's a beautiful place to go. And one of the things that we like to do, it Callaway Gardens is go into the Sibley Butterfly House and it's a, a big enclosed area with lots of plants and they keep it uh, warm all the time so the butterflies just float around and flourish and you sometimes you hold your finger out there see if you want to land on your finger I mean that stood there seemed like hours waiting for one to come they never did but I mean I'd stand there looking like a dummy trying to hold my finger out so a butterfly would land on it but they had an area in there if you all remember this where they had 
cocoons or chrysalises, and they had various stages of those butterflies emerging from that. And I watched one for a while, and it seemed to be struggling so much to get out of that thing. And I wondered to myself, why in the world don't they just come in there and slice the things open, let the butterflies just escape? But then they told us in the presentation and doing some reading on this, it is in the struggle to escape the cocoon that the butterflies gain the strength for their wings so that they can soar out into into the sky. And you know, it's the same for us. It's in the struggle to overcome what we were in the past. It's the struggle to give up those habits or, or to put uh, the priorities that we once thought were so important in perspective what God's grace is that to maybe not doing uh, the things that we did that we thought were so important, our hobbies, our, our activities, that we in that struggle gain the strength to go and soar and fly. And I, I understand this church and lots of churches have had struggles through uh, the, the pandemic and for other reasons going on. But it is in that struggle that we gain the strength to be able to soar into the new future that God has in store for us. Using who we are, not something different. You notice God didn't totally wipe away the world there when uh, the new thing is happening. He takes it and makes something new out of it. Using who we are to go and do the things that God wants to do in our lives, these new things that will be fresh expressions of God's love and grace in our lives and in the world. You know, the, the butterfly has the same DNA as that little caterpillar that was there rooting around there on the, on the ground or on the leaves. The, 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 that butterfly shares the characteristics of that caterpillar, except it's something that can fly and soar now. And see, what God wants to do in the church and in our lives is take who we are, our ordinary selves, with our failings, our faults, our struggles, who we are at this age, and use you to do something incredible. Let's take Moses, for example. You say, well, Moses, you know what? what? I can't be like Moses. Look who Moses was when God approached him there at the burning bush. He was a murderer. He was a fugitive on the run. He was so desperate for a job that he was herding sheep. That was not a glamorous job, y'all. And especially, he didn't even own those sheep. And so there he was, as low as you could be, out in the desert. And God said, I want you, man. Me, Moses said. You want me? You you want me to go speak to people? I, 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 I stutter. And God said, who made your mouth? I can speak through you, stutterer. And Moses said, well, they're, they're, they're not going to believe me. And God says, what's that you got in your hand? Meaning, I will use the tools of who you are and what you have and all you've been through to help my people be free. God says the same thing to you as he's wanting to do a new thing in your life and in the world and in through this church. And I can hear some of y'all saying, yeah, but I'm mighty old. God loves to hear that excuse. How old was Abraham when he approached him in the Ur of Chaldees saying that he's going to be a first-time daddy? First-time daddy, 75. Think about y'all out there that are 75 and you're going to be told, you're about to have a baby. 
And as Moses left the cocoon of the desert to go to Egypt, so Abraham left that cocoon of the Ur of Chaldees and believed that he and his wife, old as they were, could have a baby. And some of y'all are saying, you know, I got a bad back or, you know, I'm kind of stove up a little bit. You know, I've injured my knee or I've got some sort of uh, uh, disability. The greatest missionary that ever lived, the Apostle Paul, we believe was disfigured in some form or fashion. He even admitted it. We don't know what it was. People have all sorts of theories. Some say he might have had bad eyesight. I'll talk sometime about all the things that he went through that caused him to be uh, bent over and walking stiffly. But he didn't stay in that cocoon. He went out to all the known world to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you Appalachia State students and you young people out there say, yeah, but we're too young. You know, we, we can't do much. We, you, we, you should see all the stuff we have to study in school. You know, I, 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 we can't do that. Well, there's a fella not too far away from where I was serving before I moved here from Pike County, Alabama. That's the home of Troy University. Now, you App State students ought to be saying, boo, hiss, boo. But that's where Troy's located. But several years ago, a fellow named John Lewis, born as a sharecropper's son, had a stutter, overcame it by preaching to chickens, went off to college and joined the students' nonviolent cooperative committee. And there John Lewis and others worked to free our society from the struggles of segregation. He was a young man, 23 years old, that spoke at that national march in Washington, D.C. in 1963. It was John Lewis who in uh, Selma, Alabama, led the march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, which is still there, by the way, still named for Edmund Pettus. And there he led the way for the Voting Rights Act to be passed. A college student, y'all. And here's another one. You all haven't heard of her. Her name's Martha Turnipseed. She was the daughter of a Methodist preacher in the Alabama-West Florida Conference. She went to Birmingham Southern, a Methodist college in Birmingham. And instead of staying cocooned there on top of the hill, she went down and joined African-American college students at the Woolworths Diner to try to integrate that place. And folks at Birmingham Southern didn't like that. They expelled her from school, but 50 years later... They acknowledged their mistake, and they honored this daughter of a Methodist preacher who had already gone on to meet a reward. You're not too young. David was a boy who whipped Goliath. You're not too young. You're not too old. You're not too disabled. Church, you hadn't been through too much. God takes the struggle on who we are, and he says, I'm going to do a new thing. And we've just got to be open to that new thing that God is wanting to do in your life and in this church. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Because God has something great in store for congregations and for people that believe he's up to something new making all things new it's interesting that this this 
word picture that John paints for us that a city comes down from heaven to be here on earth. Isn't it interesting that, that heaven's going to be a city? Now, most of us have moved to the mountains to get away from the city, right? We say, I don't want to be in that city. I don't like all that traffic. Oh, my gosh, yesterday trying to go shopping, the traffic. Oh, my, I thought I was in New York City. But, you know, we, we, we have moved up here to get away from the city, right? But that's what the heavenly kingdom is because he's referring to the fact that human beings will be a, a divine community living together as God is our Lord. And it's interesting what, what John says earlier in chapter 19, that this holy city is adorned with the good works of the righteous. Adorned with the good works of the righteous. This city of God, you see, it is being beautified by the works of folks doing acts of justice and mercy in God's name. That means... For every ditch dug, every brick laid, every vote taken by a community for the benefit of other people, those things are beautifying the city of God. That God is building right now for us to occupy one day and right now. In a town that I served in a long, long time, there was a group of men that met once a month on Sunday. Y'all might have a group like that. And they would uh, have breakfast together, drink coffee. They made tomato gravy and biscuits with Koneka sausage. I haven't found out yet. Do they sell Koneka sausage up here? I mean, that is, oh my gosh, that's such good stuff. But they would have that and they would joke and laugh. And they'd have a prayer and sometimes have a devotional. But they said, you know, there's got to be something more and they thought and prayed about it a little bit. And son of a gun, the opportunity came for them to go and do something. They heard about a person in the church that needed a wheelchair ramp. And they said, oh, we can do that for Miss Troy. We'd be glad to do that. Because, you know, they were pretty handy with tools. And so they got some lumber and before it became $14 a board. And they went and started building this wheelchair ramp for Miss Troy. And they had so much fun doing that. said, I wonder if there's other folks that need wheelchair ramps. And so they asked a doctor in the church. He said, oh, yeah, I got a couple patients that could use a wheelchair ramp. And so they started building a wheelchair ramp for patients of this doctor. And then they started asking around. And there was all sorts of people that were trapped in their homes because they had some disability. And these men made wheelchair chair ramps for them and they realized this is starting to cost money so how can we raise money so they started smoking up and selling Boston butts you know a a, a term in the Bible is that aroma pleasing to the Lord there's no more pleasing aroma to the Lord than pork being roasted going up to heaven raise money for good works amen and so these men would they, would, they would cook all the time just about. They'd reach four or $5,000 a pop. And they would build ramps all over uh, Bruton, Alabama, and Conecuh County, and Escambia County. They even went into Florida a little bit. And they were building ramps all over. Giving up golfing and hunting and fishing. Getting out of the cocoon of their comfort levels. Surrendering their sweat and sometimes even bleeding. But laughing all the time as they worked together to build ramps for all sorts of people who were imprisoned in their homes because they couldn't leave them. Because they were stuck in a wheelchair and a walker. For the past 15 years they've been doing this. And over 500 ramps have been built 
in that area. Now, I don't know if this is true or not, but I would like to believe that if I walk through the pearly gates and I look around at this celestial city, there there aren't going to be any stairs there. There are all going to be ramps adorned in gold, sent up to heaven by the work of these dear men. I think that's what the heavenly kingdom is going to be, don't you? I, I think that the angels are going to be singing off sheet music with the words of kindness that you have expressed to others, being the, the songs that they sing. I believe that the buildings of heaven are made of wood, cut by men and women who have been donating firewood to those who are poor. And now, though, when we get there, they are covered in sapphires and rubies and diamonds. I believe the pennants of heaven are going to be made from quilts sewn and prayer shawls knitted by faithful saints here upon this earth. I believe the gardens of heaven are going to be beautified with the flowers that people have put together to adorn altars around churches throughout the world. And these flowers are taken to lonely and sick people and throughout the community. And we're going to be feasting on fried chicken and casseroles made by saints in church kitchens and in homes throughout the world to feed hungry people and saints who have come in from a hard day's work. And there's going to be much laughter there because it's going to be echoes of the laughter of people joyfully serving God in the new way that God has intended us to serve. Can you believe it? And that day is not just for the days in the future in heaven. It can be here right now in this place, in this community, in that school, as we let God work in our lives, doing a new thing. Because as God does a new thing, That never grows old. That's what God wants for us, to let him work in our lives, in our church, in Appalachia State, and in the world. And that, my friends, is always new. God makes it so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.